everybody. Do, 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 do. This is Two Girls, One Ghost. Two Girls, One Ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. Hey. I'm Sabrina. Leia's here. And we have special guests. It's Leia. Leia? Hello? No, it's... What's up? <laughs> it's Nick. It's Sabrina's fiance. I'm marrying this guy. What's up? I waited two years to make an entrance, and I—that was the best I could come up with. <laughs> you had so many supporters too, Nick. So many people vouched for you on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, saying, "When is Nick gonna co-host?" You know, I'm a little sad that we're letting him on now because because I should have held out for another cat. But I guess proposal engagement is enough. Yeah. Corinne, thank you for bringing that up because it was really uh, emotional to hear the outcry of people wanting to finally get to know me. So um, just want to say thank you, particularly to Adrian, Lauren, Sabrina, Matt, Kehlani, Shelby, Christina, Zena, <laughs> and the list goes on. I don't have time to name all of them. Oh, wow. Who knew Nick was going to pull a report of those he who have vouched props. for him? He, he came in earlier and was like, I have so many bits planned. So. Keep it natural, Nick. Keep it natural. Yeah, you don't tell someone that you've got bits planned, but I was just too excited. But it's cute. Vocal it's exercises, so um, singing, all that stuff. Tea with honey, perhaps. We're engaged. You're engaged, Nick. What is it like to be engaged to a ghost girl? Ghost? To a ghost girl. Oh, God. A ghost loving girl. Are you ready to take on a haunted life? For an ever and ever until death do you part and then you're gonna spend the afterlife together as yeah. ghosts so the truth about it is sabrina records in our guest bedroom and i just tend to not really come in here because i don't really have have much stuff in here but when i do i just feel a little uneasy and i look at the wall there's like all this ghost paraphernalia oh and gosh. signs that say not today satan and like that's a good thing for all i know <laughs> dead people and plenty of ghosts so I, I try not to, to really make my way in here to be honest I have dead people in the closet that's that's what we've learned from this well you know you got where else are you gonna keep them the refrigerator my fear is that she's run out of ghosts to talk about so she needs to like kind of create her own at this point watch oh, out well. you're next I just need Me, to marry you and person. then I'll get your money yeah. Ooh, life Nick. insurance <laughs> <laughs> Uh, except now we said it on the podcast so it can never happen that's the thing that's what happens also because of my google search history i feel like if nick were to die i'd automatically be the suspect that's true all right nick would you like to tell us the engagement story the proposal story since obviously you planned it nick how much time do you have no yeah <laughs> uh I'll, I'll make it quick but um major thanks to corinne corinne actually was helping me for a bit when we thought at one point, we we're going to be doing one thing, but I wasn't very much help. I helped you for one second, but I got really excited because you texted me and said, hey, do you think you could send me? And then I immediately went, yeah. oh, my God, it's <laughs> you happening. Knew. You knew. My heart. <laughs> well, and last time I saw you at one of our friend's wedding, you had pulled me aside uh, very much. <laughs> oh, guys, Nick just took the microphone out of my hand. <laughs> we need to share it. Is this thing on? You got to talk like this. It kind of feels like, you know, that SNL skit where they, the sweaty balls one, and they kind of go, hey, thank you for joining us. I kind of <laughs> imagine that's how you guys talked. Yeah. Like the NPR girls. Is that one of your bits? Oh, God. It might have been. 
It's just so hard to not have the affirmation of all of the millions of phantoms laughing at me, with me, millions? not at me. How many listeners do you think? We wow. Have? In Nick's heart, we have the every whole world. single person, <laughs> every soul. So, just a little bit of background back in in college. Um, even asking Sabrina to like formals and stuff, I would kind of just go over the top just to be funny and make like videos and have all these you know our friends involved and I would show them at chapter at chapter and so I never thought every proposal is probably beautiful in its own way but I didn't think I could do one that wasn't grand yeah Yeah. big and so Sabrina will tell you I had many sleepless nights oftentimes I would even like ask her like I just don't know what I'm going to do yet. I just don't know what I'm going to do. So I had all these things planned. A short list. Um, I had reached out to a bunch of different <laughs> groups of people. I reached out to Lizzo's people. I reached out to Alanis Morissette's people. I reached out to Carol King's people. Uh, to no avail. Unbelievable. Um, How did you do that? Instagram? Yeah, Instagram. I went to like their fan pages and like found their emails, like stuff like that. We have some friends who have connections here and there. So like I just tried to tried to make it big. What if Lizzo comes back and says, yes, I'd love to be a part of your proposal? Then, Are you guys going to pretend like the engagement Yeah, I'll take the ring right year? off her finger and uh, go do no, it you again. you got to get another ring for that one. Okay. <laughs> um, and the, I had one almost locked down, and it was with a band that we really like that is going to be- Delta the, Ray. Yeah, which one of their songs will be the first song at our wedding. And I had reached out to them. I had gotten tickets. It was going to be perfect. They were almost like committed. We were, we were starting to like map things out. And then Sabrina comes home and tells me that the episode she was shooting for Prodigal Son got moved. And okay, and this is my version of the story. So I came home from work. My, my episode was supposed to be episode nine and then it moved to episode 10. And I told Nick and the look on his face was like pure- like I could tell he had something planned <laughs> and he even said he goes it's so hard to plan around your life and then he kind of <laughs> takes a second and a beat and goes not proposal related and the way I remember it is I said it's hard to it's hard to plan some events around you and then I think she no. said do you mean proposal and I said oh no no of course no, not your birthday I think your you birthday. got stressed out about it and thought I was saying that so you had to say yeah it. that's probably the truth um I'm always right that's what they say yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But then We're I... We're still not at the story so yeah, yet. This is what I'm saying. How much time do you have? I'll make it quick. Um, we... <laughs> Nick's trying to slowly take over our podcast. It's be- it's successful so far. I've done very few interruptions. <laughs> Two girls. I'm intrigued. I'm here for it. and a guy. That That's a rolls lot off wordier, the tongue. I don't you know. know. Um, so... I I'd booked a trip to New York and one of Sabrina's and mine favorite show is Saturday Night Live. It's just mm-hmm. one that we always watch together. I don't think we've missed an episode in a ton of years. Um, and Corinne, we know you love SNL too. Your Target Lady, for example. Oh, Corinne, <laughs> I took a photo of the Target Lady costume to send to you. But uh, I got hot up because I got proposed to and then I forgot to send it to you. <laughs> Your excuse. Priorities, am I right? Um, and so I kind of just thought it would be so perfect to somehow incorporate SNL my dad has kind of a family friend who has a connection there so when I was home for a wedding when Serena was in New York I'd kind of floated that idea to him and he was like all right you know I'm not really sure I can make any guarantees but let's just see where that goes and then independently I reached out to a friend of ours in New York who we went to school with shout out to Rissy shout out to Rissy 
and she was incredible. She connected me with another mutual friend who used to work at SNL, and so everything's kind of falling into Shout place. Shout out to Marisa. Shout out to Marisa. And I don't know if we say names here. We don't say last names. All right, I'll withhold those. Um, and we had she had basically confirmed that on Sunday she was going to take us on a tour of the the SNL studio of 30 Rockefeller of 30 Rock and so she had kind of given me some background of you know it's the night after the show so it won't be very crowded but there might be like bits and pieces of the set all over and musical equipment and all that um but let me see what I can do and within a couple hours she texts me and she goes how does Sunday at at noon sound and I was like Tuesday at 5 a.m. would be perfect. What do you mean? Like, this is incredible. Um, and so I had that booked. And then independently, I was in a meeting at work and I get like the most dad text in the world for my dad. It says, hey, Nick, please call. New text. Call now. New text. Good news! Exclamation point. New text. Please call. I'm like, dad, I'm in a meeting. Like, I call him and he was like, I think this is going to work. I think this connection is going to pull through. I think you have tickets to SNL. So now all of a sudden it went from Lizzo's people not responding to me to I having agree. to having tickets to SNL and then the next day a private tour of the studio. So I had FaceTime Sabrina and basically talked to her about um, us getting in to SNL. I made her play 20 questions. She got it right away. So now it's I Not def- right away. It took like eight questions. Yeah, but you're so smart. I'm so smart. So then I had to figure out how do I organically get us there the next day without making that one sounded mm-hmm. sounded planned, mm-hmm. sounding planned. Um, and so we went out to drinks with our friend Rissy. Shout out to Riss. Last name not disclosed. And she, I had planned this with her, but she was like, I can't believe you guys are going to SNL. Uh, that sounds so cool. I've always wanted to go. And then said, you know, Marisa used to work there. I, I wonder if she would... And she kind of is like having this conversation with herself and she's like, would you guys be okay if I texted her and asked her if she could take us on a tour? Would you guys even want to go? And I was like, absolutely. That's so cool. And so it completely sounds like it's Rissy's idea. Totally. And so I said to Sabrina, I was like, I mean, we're going tonight. Would you really want to go again tomorrow? I was Just like, yes. And I was like, all Duh. right, all right. <laughs> Meanwhile, Rissy's like, you're an idiot. Yeah, what uh, if I said no? Yeah, exactly. I didn't want to get that far. Um, so then she's like, well, go enjoy the show. Like, I'll try to figure it out with, with Marisa and see if we can get a tour tomorrow. So then we went to SNL where Chance the Rapper was performing and it was great. So much fun. And then after the show. Wait, can I tell the envelope part? No, because it's too long. All right. That's not for everyone. (laughs) Ben, you already know that part. It's already 15 minutes. Fine. I love you. (laughs) So. Then, so we get out of the show and we get a text from Rissy saying, tomorrow at noon, we're set. Marisa's going to give us a tour of 30 Rock. And I was like, that's awesome. We end up staying out and partying until 3 a.m. Because like, New York, baby. Um, so the next morning we wake up and we're a little hungover. But we're like, okay, we have to go. And we go to 30 Rock. We meet Rissy and Marisa. And she's giving us a tour. We go through like Seth Meyers studio where he mm-hmm. does late night show. And then we go down to SNL where the studio is. And usually for a tour group, they usually only let you go to the upstairs where the stadium seating is. But there was a tour group up there. And Marisa's like, wait, no one's downstairs. Like, let's go down there where the stage is. And you're not supposed to take photos. You're not supposed to have your phones. You're not supposed to be on the stage or any of this. So are and you guys kinda- now banned for life? 
<laughs> Maybe, I don't know. But now I'm thinking we shouldn't have said her name, but oh well. Um, but she doesn't work there anymore. She, she looks out from, from the, the second story and she looks out and she's like, oh my God. Like not only is, is no one down there, but the stage is clear. Like she was expecting there to be the all the equipment on there. So we go downstairs and you know if you ever watch SNL and sometimes the host goes backstage, there's like kind of like the, the bowels hallway. of SNL and then that long hallway. So she takes us down there and we're just mesmerized mesmerized it's and I'm, I'm not nervous because i'm we're such snl nerds i'm just like it's taking in all of this information and i'm not even thinking about it other mm -hmm. than um i ha so i had the ring in my coat pocket and earlier i'd put on that before i went to new york i had tried on a bunch of different coats to see what if it would like bulge out or not and so i had put on one and sabrina had told me to switch and i was like no 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 it's mine it's fine it's mine so then we get into the the stage area mm -hmm. and it's just surreal i mean you're just like looking at you know 45 years of history and then so then marisa was like okay quickly like go up there go take a photo all of a sudden we see a security guard kind of walking towards us and we're like oh shit we're gonna get kicked out but she just literally just like looks at us nods and like keeps walking and i'm thinking we've been on this tour for 45 minutes everything's gone perfectly and all of a sudden now i'm gonna have to rush this thing and i was expecting our friends just to kind of distract her and then i was just gonna pop the question and then move on but she just walked away let us be so then we go up on the stage we take our photos and i was like this is so cool and marissa so, and then rissy is taking photos and i'm getting ready to get off the stage because i was like we took our photos and nick goes this is so special but and i kind of like and now word head. from our sponsor pretty litter <laughs> oh nick um and then <laughs> that wasn't a bit but it just came, it but it just was, came it was good Thank i liked it i like I liked the confidence it too. i appreciate you just interjecting when you feel the need that's that's what makes that's, that's what showbiz baby that's what podcasting showbiz. is about so anyway he goes this is so special but and i whip my head towards him and he's reaching into his pocket he's getting down on a knee and he's like i want to make it even more special What'd you say? Yeah, that was it. And then I blacked out. I love you. I, I lo love you, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, something like that. Something it's not Vine, so Vine. maybe something more special than that. <laughs> uh, maybe. Um, but yeah, it was, it was basically that. And then... And then we went outside after the engagement and it was pouring rain, like I said, and we were trying to hail a cab. And like literally right out of a movie, I went up to the curb and a car drives by and just drenches me with water. Oh, I love it. But I wouldn't it have matter. it any other way. Your story. I know. It was so Wait, good. so Nick, did you not do, did you do an SNL monologue for your engagement or? That is so funny you say that because, yeah, it's like a dream to be up on that stage. And so obviously the first goal was to propose. And then we were like, you know, all excited and Sabrina was so shocked and we were emotional and they were taking our photos. And then we like get our, like our jackets on to leave. And then I go, wait a second. Who am I kidding? Can you guys give me a second? And I went up there and I made them take photos of me pretending to deliver a monologue. monologue. <laughs> Where are those pictures? Oh, they'll surface. They'll, they'll surface. surface. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. I was shocked thinking that you hadn't. It seems, it only seems natural for you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, well, I'm so excited for you guys. Also, Nick, will you buy me a ring? Because it's so <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, it was actually really easy because seven. Sabrina had said what she wanted. We had tried stuff on a couple of times. And so I didn't have to do, you know, a lot of you guessing. You did so much work, though. It's beautiful. 
You did good. Well, and Corinne, I think I, I, I don't think I could tell you this at the wedding because people were always asking, do you have the ring? And I think if you have the ring, then people assume, okay, it's happening right away. Um, but mm. I had the ring since July and it was just in a shoebox in our oh. apartment and I didn't tell <gasps> anyone. Were you not nervous that she, that Sabrina was going to find it? I mean, I was at times, I was more nervous of just like, I don't know, a break-in that definitely wasn't going to happen. So every <laughs> once in a while, if I was home before Sabrina, I would just like run over to the Sorry. to the shoebox and, um, you know, check and make sure it was still there. Oh my gosh. Ah! Amazing. Love is ah. for the way you look. Mm-hmm. So anyway, thank you guys so much for letting me come on and tell um, the story. We are going to invite all ghosts to the wedding. So, well, thanks for pledging your life to my best friend. You, yeah, that. Um, yeah. We, so I as you guys one know, request we, from you, Nick. Please get Sabrina a second cat. Yes, I, I was you. just going to say that <laughs> Nick has plenty of ghost stories, but he's not allowed to tell them this time until he gets me a second cat. As oh, our cat climbs into the closet, does until next time, Nick. Until next time. Yeah, thank you guys so much. I just just wanted to say, Sabrina made a good point. Um, we definitely want to have some of the phantoms there. So we just launched a Kickstarter today, and based on your contribution, we have uh, different <laughs> different levels. So if you pledge a thousand dollars, you'll be invited to the wedding. Oh if you pledge five thousand dollars, you can walk my mother down the aisle. If you pledge ten thousand, you can officiate the wedding, and fifty thousand, you can marry Sabrina. Oh, I'll do that. Great. You're going to pay me $50,000 to marry me? Yeah. Wow. I mean that much to you? <laughs> yeah. It, are we going to use our podcast money? Yeah. No, it's the Kickstarter. <laughs> Kickstarter <laughs> campaign. Right. Subscribe. Link below. What medium is <laughs> okay, this? Is okay. It? okay. We All love right. you. Bye, Nick. See you on the other side with the ghosts. And don't forget, if you see something, grab your sage and make sure that you do something with it. <laughs> and it's gone. The ghosts don't want me to see Nick anymore. That's what's <laughs> happening. <laughs> They're nervous that he's going to just take over and kick me off the podcast. Nick just said he's going to the green room. Nick is hilarious. What a good choice in, in male specimen for you. <laughs> I think I did pretty good. He's, he's pretty fabulous. He's pretty fit. He's pretty fun. Okay. So. This week, I am absolutely obsessed with this topic. It's such a historical topic. Yes. We are discussing the Underground Railroad. Yes, and haunted locations along the Underground Railroad. And for those that don't really know what the Underground Railroad is, if maybe you did not study American history, a couple centuries ago, slavery was a huge issue People were taken from their native lands and brought to America, and basically rich white people had um, plantations and different farms or just properties and would have slaves. It was a huge issue in the South, and slaves who, or people who were kept as slaves who then either escaped and ran away or bought their freedom and tried to make it up to the North or to Canada to gain back their freedom and their lives, they really heavily relied on the Underground Railroad, which was not a real railroad. Wow, that's a hard thing to say. <laughs> Rather, it was a bunch of different like posts set up by people who 
were willing to risk their own safety and lives to help these people. So it could have been a factory. Mm -hmm. It could have been a school. It could have been someone's personal home. It could have been a farm. um, Farm. Yeah. It was basically just all of these places where people could run to and have a safe haven for the day to stay Mm -hmm. when it was light out. And then at night they would move and make their way up to the next post and hopefully to their freedom. My favorite statistic about it is that so it was formed in the late 1700s and it was estimated that over a hundred thousand slaves had escaped through this underground railroad who otherwise would not have been able to which i think is really amazing totally amazing and it's no there's no one place where the underground there's no like line that you can follow it was a bunch of people just all over the place well because you like aren't there some in boston I was just going to say, for example, in Beacon Hill, you can go on a walking tour. There are a few places um, that were stations on the Underground Railroad. And I actually used to live, my last apartment was like two buildings down. So every time I'd leave my apartment, there'd be a big group of people clustered reading the plaques and and going on the tour. Wow. There are also, unfortunately, some – I didn't end up doing this story, but I saw a few really tragic stories about people who – caught on to the Underground Railroad and who were pro-slavery and ended up making fake stations. Oh, I'm sorry, but it's the reality of what happened and it's so horrible. It is. I just really like to highlight the people that helped helped save people. Mm -hmm. You know, that's what's really nice and inspiring. It's awful to think that someone would misuse that, but I know that that's reality and that happens all the time. It just hurts my heart. I know. Well, let's, let's tell some more uplifting stories then. Okay. All right, let's do a history lesson or learn about and learn about uh, the people who set up proper stations on the Underground Railroad to help people uh, escape slavery and mistreatment and really, really awful things that happened to everybody. Okay, I am discussing the Trinway Mansion, also called Prospect Place. <laughs> and. It- We had a listener email us about it, and we read her story a few episodes ago. Oh, my God. I didn't even make that connection. Yeah. Ugh. Amazing. That's when I wrote down this topic after her email. The Underground Railroad. Oh, brilliant. In the small town of Trinway, Ohio, on Dresden Road, which borders the neighboring town of Dresden, there is an old mansion that sits on a plot of land called Prospect Place, sometimes referred to as the Trinway Mansion. George Adams was the son of a very prosperous plantation owner, and this story of Prospect Place starts with him, although he didn't actually own the land, but basically his family eventually owned Prospect Place. George Adams, uh, his family had slaves, his father was a plantation owner, and his family owned more than 500 acres of land. They were hugely rich. And when George's father passed away, George did something that shocked pretty much everyone in the area. He inherited the plantation, but instead of keeping the plantation and keeping his wealth and his slaves and everything like that, he freed his slaves. And despite his upbringing and status, he always believed that owning another man was an eternal sin. So he really did not back his father or the way that he was raised, and he freed all of his slaves sold the plantation the plantation was purchased in 1808 and then he and his family ventured from virginia up to ohio where prospect place is 
and they were really desiring, he and his family were desiring to be a resident of a free state. And at the time, Ohio was a free state. It had been freed since 1803. Mm -hmm. He bought a piece of land and he bought a few wagons and some needed items for this new land. And he and his family set up camp. And it was his wife, his four children. He had one daughter and he had three sons. So all of them went up there. And their new home wasn't actually dressed in Ohio, and it felt very quaint. The home itself was quite large. Uh, the community of Dresden was just a few homes and businesses at the time. It was just like this nice little oasis from what he had been used to. Right. And in the 1830s, the Ohio and Erie Canal were constructed and turned into one of the most important trade routes of the time. So the community of Dresden became pretty wealthy and attracted a bunch of merchants who wanted to utilize the canal and it just kind of like increased in population and became much more maybe uppity and then not long after that george adams actually passed away and his 150 acre property was passed down to two of his three sons i don't know what happened to the third son i couldn't find information on what happened to him but two of the sons took over the land And they realized that they were going to have to sell the land because the funds from the Virginia plantation were like pretty much run dry. They didn't really have much wealth left and there wasn't enough income coming in from their father's land to allow the family to stay there. So these two sons, they they sell the land and so they open up a mill on Muskingum and Coshocton County lines and these two, his two sons, George Adams' two sons, they become pretty dang rich from this mill the two brothers end up building identical homes nearby each other and they raise their own families there they were twinning in homes isn't that cute i love that i love that the youngest brother he was the youngest son and brother uh george he was named after his father george adams it wasn't really a happily ever after story for him even though it seems like it is like he's twinning houses with his brother and totally became rich on his own Um, wealth doesn't bring you happiness no it doesn't and unfortunately for him some of his happiness passed away because in 1850 his wife clarissa became sick and died suddenly and george was absolutely devastated he fell into a depression for several years he was really really struggling and then eventually after a few years he starts to kind of get back on his feet again And he ends up meeting a young woman named Mary, and she was actually 20 years younger than him. But Mm -hmm. they got married, and they fell in love. Well, they fell in love, and then they got married. (laughs) You you never know. It could have been the other way around. And then Mary moved in with George and George's children into the home that they had previously shared with Clarissa. But the house was not at peace, and some people believed Mm. that Clarissa never left and that her spirit could be seen moving about the home. And Mary was super unsettled, and she insisted that they leave the home because she didn't want to be living with George's deceased wife. And so George and Mary, they build a new home, and they call this home Prospect Place. I was going to say... If Nick were here, I hope he knows that if I die and he remarries, I will for sure haunt that place. (laughs) I will be that lady. Yeah. Although I think it depends on how long it's been because don't you want your loved one to also be, find happiness and be happy? Yeah, but wouldn't it be fun to scare the new wife? (laughs) 
I'd write her messages like, hey, don't do this. It really bugs him. Or, hey, do this. It really bugs him. <laughs> yeah. Or just like like pop out of nowhere when she's looking in the mirror. Oh, my and gosh. That's mean. <laughs> I wouldn't do that. Corinne, I'm kidding. I'd be like, take care of I'm my kidding. kids and my husband, please. I'm not there to do so. <laughs> I'm kidding because Nick would never remarry if I died. He'd be so heartbroken. Let's hope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm not a psycho. I promise. Everybody's a little bit, you know. A little bit. Okay. Yeah. Um. So Prospect Place is built. And this is the, the whole reason why we're even talking about this. Uh, Prospect Place was a cool place. So this house, however, it didn't have a great beginning. And nearing its completion, the home actually caught fire and burned to the ground. And not really knowing what happened, oh, many no. people believed that it was karma coming back to George and his family for building on the land of a Native American burial ground. There was an elderly Native American woman who had warned George against building on the land. And some mm. people believed that maybe she was at fault, that maybe she put a curse on him, or that maybe it was just bad luck to bury over a Native American burial ground. Which, if you can avoid doing yeah. that, you most definitely should. You should. Yeah. Yep. Uh, others thought that it was more likely <laughs> that one of the workers who had been built working on the house and building the house had started the fire because one of them, one of these workers, oh, drunkenly admitted to wanting more work uh, and burning the house down was an easy way to secure his job a bit longer. Okay. So, obviously, it was that guy. Yeah. But regardless of the reason of why it burned down, George rebuilt the home again, and the home was massive, or is massive. It was a mansion, 9,500-square-foot mansion, 29 rooms, indoor plumbing, like some- 29 rooms. rooms. You're kidding. And like a lot of the stuff that it had was super, super progressive for the time. Like it had indoor plumbing. It had a copper cistern for both hot and cold water. It had a some type of re- refrigeration system. It had a primitive type of air conditioning. So those were all really progressive. And then it also had a servant's wing, individual sitting rooms for both men and for women. Just a ton of stuff. It was ginormous. Is ginormous. It still is standing today. So George <laughs> and Mary, yes. they, they now with their new house, they're living a very happy life, and George and Mary have two children of their own, John and Lizzie, and George would do absolutely anything to protect his family. He totally did, but there was one thing that George did, an amazing thing, that actually put himself and his family and their home at risk, but it saved the lives of many, many, many people in return. George became involved with the Underground Railroad. So similar to his father, who freed all of the slaves and sold the plantation, George utilized his home, his wealth, his power, his position to help people escape slavery. And he first, when he and his brother first opened up the mill, not long after they opened up the mill, they used their mill as a station on the Underground Railroad. They also spent their money to fund fellow stations and he and his brother Edward would also uh, go down on trips for for their like mill and business. They would go on trips to New Orleans to go buy flour, and they would hide refugees under the decks of their like boats and, and wagons and everything, and bring them back 
up oh, to the north. Amazing. They were totally risking their own lives because at the time, aiding slaves in any way was illegal in many, many states. Obviously, they were willing to risk this, willing to risk their lives and their own family's safety to help all of these people who were yeah. wrongfully kept and stolen from their own homes. Mm-hmm. And eventually, George moved his Underground Railroad station into his family's home into Prospect Place. And George succeeded, and he was never caught. And only after slavery wow. was abolished did people really understand why the house was built the way that it was. So there were some odd things about the house. Wow, that's amazing. For instance, there was a tall cupola that was raised pretty high on top of the house. And this was thought to have been used for a signal post, as George would sometimes put a lantern in the window. And it was mm. thought that it was... If the lantern was in the window, it meant that it was safe for the refugees to come and enter. And if there wasn't a lantern, it wasn't okay for them to come in. They were, they'd be at risk of being caught. Additionally, in the basement of the home, there was a cistern. And it was an odd placement, except if, like, why would you have one of those in your basement, except... If you were trying to provide water to someone who did not want to be seen. So one thing I learned, which actually totally grossed Mm -hmm. me out, was that at the time there were people who dedicated their time to catching these refugees, these fugitives, these escaped people that had escaped slavery and returned them to slavery. Right. And if they believed a house was possibly a Mm -hmm. station on the Underground Railroad, these people would watch the wells to judge how much water was being taken out and to guess how many people were inside and if there were any extra bodies being kept oh inside. So totally gross. So awful. Hate that. And if Prescott Place was raided, George had kind of built this sort of backup plan. There was an eight-foot-long tunnel that was believed, we don't really know, but believed to leave or lead from the cellar to the outdoors, though it's impossible to prove that that's true because there were no records kept at the time. And there's there's a lot of records mm. that have been lost or or never even written down when it comes to um, the Underground Railroad and slavery just because it was such a dangerous thing to try at the time right. to assist people. Right. You wouldn't want to keep records of that. So not only did George open his home to these escapees but he also allowed his home to be used as a union headquarters alongside a place to stay for Mm. any federal soldiers who were passing through so he was really just like opening his arms up to people who really needed aid and the civil war eventually ended in 1865 abolishing slavery and george funded a two week long celebration in dresden two weeks two weeks long how do you party for two weeks? I can hardly party for one night. Yeah, it was two weeks long and, oh, God, I feel so bad that I don't remember who the president was at this time. But the party only ended because news traveled to Dresden that this president had, was it the assassination or the near assassination? Oh, my God, who was president in Lincoln? 1865? Lincoln? Who was assassinated? Pres- was it? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There's been a lot of presidents who were assassinated. Um, 1865, the president of the United States, Andrew Johnson. What's he say? Oh, oh, he assumed presidency at the time of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. 
Wow. <laughs> I am lear- relearning second grade I know. Grade history. I need to get that placemat again. Uh, yes. I used to have that one too, except I didn't really spend much time with it. I was much more into the uh, sign language. So oh. I'm regretful of Well, that. that's a good thing to know as well. Yeah, but I should also know the president. But what's more useful, you know? Well, apparently right now, learning precedence in this very moment. <laughs> yeah, but in life. But that's okay. Google. Yeah. All right. So George Adams, he goes on to live another 14 years and he actually got into the railroad business, which is kind of ironic because his original railroad mm-hmm. business was the Underground Railroad. Yeah. And he died on August 31st, 1879. And at the time of his death, he was worth $14 million. Whoa. In 1860? I think it was $14 million of his time. Not $14 million, like $1865. Oh, which oh, would oh. Be like, like if it was $1 billion now. Oh, gotcha. Okay. That's still yeah, a lot of million, money. But that's still a ton of money. Yeah. Oh, my God. And then that was divided amongst his family members and his daughter, Anna. Uh, she got some of the money, and she married a man named William Cox, and they moved together into Prospect Place, or I'm not sure if Anna ever left. I think William might have just moved in, and um, the two of them took over the property. But years later, her husband vanished without a trace. What? And it was super odd because the two of them seemed super happy. They had just renovated the mansion. They spent huge amounts of money on the renovations. And they had all of these lavish parties in their updated home. Like, they were the talk of the town. I, I very much pictured them as, like, what's the Leonardo DiCaprio movie? The Titanic saw it. Oh, The Descendant? No, what was it called? Oh, God, what was it called? Where they had all the parties. The Oh, the 1920s one. Why am I blanking in the book? Um, Why am I blanking, too? What is that one called? Great Gatsby. Great Gatsby. Jesus. Whew. I'm really losing I'm not my totally gone. Here. But I, I picture it as like Great Gatsby parties because it, from what it sounded like, they had a ton of people over and they were these like very lavish and late into the evening party, party, party types of parties in their mansion. And um, people began to wonder how they could even spend so much and still sustain themselves long term. Mm-hmm. But maybe that wasn't of concern because one day William needed to run out of town for a business trip in Columbus and he was last seen boarding the train. And a detective was able to actually track down where he went after when he went missing. And everyone was like, where the heck was he? He was last seen boarding in town to go to Columbus. And so they hired a detective. The detective was able to track him down to a hotel in Columbus and confirmed that he did check in. But William also checked in alongside another man who refused to give his name. And then a few months later, Anna received a letter in the mail, and it's from a woman named Jenny who'd also grown up in Dresden. But this woman moved to San Francisco, and she bumped into William and this man, the same man described from the hotel in Columbus, in the streets of San Fran. And she was so excited to see an old neighbor, like so excited. Oh, my God, someone from Ohio. And so she she approaches him and is like, oh, my gosh, hey, how is it going? And William's super disgruntled and he hastily tries to move away from her. And she follows him thinking like maybe he didn't recognize her. She was out of place. They weren't in Dresden. Maybe he just thought she would like didn't it didn't click because they were so far away from home that maybe he didn't recognize her. But then she notices as she's like following him into like a store and like down the road 
how hard he's trying to avoid her. So he's ducking into a shop down the street and he actually uses the back door to leave when she enters. So it was... Oh, what? But it makes sense because at the time it was all suspicious and like, ooh, what's going on? What could have happened? But now more in, in modern daytime, it's suspected that William and this man, they were partners and at the time, it was very, very faux pas. You, the right. same-sex relationships were um, not of the norm or or accepted. And right. uh, that's why William and this man were kind of trying to separate themselves or, or put themselves as far away from their past as possible and not really using their real names when checking into hotels, et cetera. Oh, that's so sad. They had to hide. Yes. So sad. And to to leave behind the people that had loved you too to like how right. hard is it to leave what was once your support system because maybe right. they wouldn't be your support system later on so that was super super sad and that was the last time that anyone ever reported another sighting of william again but anna continued to live her life in prospect place she eventually passed away and her son George Cox, yet another George. Good God, this is like the 700th George, realistically. You know how I feel about those oh, names. Oh, it won't end, Sabrina. I have so many more Georges to introduce you to. <laughs> but um, George Cox, the, the third George since we've started chatting here today, he inherits the place mm-hmm. and he later sells it to a gravel company. Then the house is eventually abandoned. It starts to fall into ruin and it's going to be demolished in 1988. So this is like very recent history but then yeah 1988 but then a local dresden preservationist came in and he was like i hate to see this mansion die off i grew up next to this mansion so he ends up buying the property and he starts repairs however this man too fell ill and he passed away before restoration was complete but then everyone's dying yeah it's i guess a big project to take on and People are older. But then a new buyer steps in. He comes into the light and he offers to take over the place and to restore it. And his name, guess his name. Is George? George. George. Guess his last name. I don't know. Adams. George Adams. The same name as the very first guy in the early 1800s. Wow. And it turns out that this George Adams is the great-great-grandson of the original Oh, my George God. Adams. No wonder he wanted to take over. Right? That's amazing. So a hell of a lot has happened between the time 1800s George Adams and 2000 George Adams wow. has lived. But apparently the desire to name their sons George Adams remains. Yep. Yep. That happened. Can't die that. Whoa. That did not make <laughs> sense. Whew. Can't die that, you know? No, yeah, you can't die if everyone's named after you. <laughs> I understood what you're saying. Yes. Uh, so in the 2000s, George takes on the mansion and he actually moves into it and he begins restorations. The restorations uncovered some pretty sweet things from the past, like some old shoes, some melted glass, and the closed-off secret underground railroad cistern in the basement. It had been hidden until then, so like crazy ultimate find. Wow. Super treasure. So the 2000s George, I'm just going to start referring to <laughs> The new George. Recent George. He establishes the G.W. Adams Education Center 
as Prospect Place to teach people about the Underground Railroad, and he also has opened up the home to tours on weekends. Wow. So anyone who wants to go and learn about the history totally can, and if the history of this home and everything that people went through is not enough to make your heart pound, maybe you'll want to opt for an overnight stay because, oh, no. yes, they offer it, and there are so many ghosts. I couldn't. Visitors report hearing strange noises, like disembodied voices, children laughing, and the creepiest of them all, whispers. Whispers. Visitors have also spotted a few spectral figures, like shadow figures, a man in formal attire who stands at the top of the stairs. Um, and actually, this man is dressed in period clothing, and he has a really large mustache or like beard. Sometimes people see claim to see either one and he kind of looms around the staircase on the second floor and it's not known who this Wait, man is this is who our listener wrote about oh okay i need to re-listen to that story now after reading all let's see this. what episode was it in let me look it up real quick episode 107 from dawn 107 from dawn yep 107 okay gotta listen to that but people don't really know who this man is. They can only speculate. So some people think maybe he was a servant. Others think that he could have been a party goer from the era in which Anna and William Cox threw these lavish parties. But many people believe that this may be George Adams himself watching over his oh, house. Wow. The basement at Prospect Place is, surprise, surprise, haunted, as are all basements. Of course. Uh, but... This basement, not only is it a basement, but it also was the location of plenty of illegal activity because the people who were running to their freedom would stay in the basement when they were utilizing that station on the Underground Railroad. So not only were they there and obviously heightened energies and had been through a ton of stuff, but George had also aided and abetted at the time, it was considered super illegal to help these refugees. Um, so there was just like a ton of odd energy in the place, mm. really centralized around the basement. Many of these ghosts are believed to reside in the basement and are thought to be, plenty of them are thought to be the spirits of slaves, the slaves who had stopped at the station on the Underground Railroad. But to my knowledge, and, and maybe I'd be corrected if I went on the tour mm -hmm. and learned more. But to my knowledge, I don't believe that the slaves had died in the home or any slaves had died in the home. Wow. So perhaps these spirits are actually just residual hauntings, an echo of the past, hmm. uh, maybe just a reminder of the horrifying events that had taken place. Right. Um, but there was one spirit. There's a spirit of a female who has an apparent injury to her head, and it's believed that she may have been a slave and or or had yeah had previously been kept as a slave it's believed that she usually sticks to the basement rooms and really only shows herself and her head wound to horrified onlookers for just a moment and then she'll vanish oh the basement also gives people really really strange vibes and some people refer to the feeling as being disturbing and not only are these apparitions and not only are there apparitions, but there are also like cold spots and bone-chilling cries heard. Oh, and so it makes sad. sense. It's super, super sad. But it does make sense if we revisit some of the dark events that happened in the house and also around the area, not just 
having to do with the Underground Railroad and slavery, but some other things that had happened too. Mm-hmm. Like a young girl, most likely a servant girl, she had died from falling from a portico during the winter. And because it was winter and the ground was frozen, she couldn't be buried when she died because they couldn't dig into the ground. It was frozen. yeah. So instead, George had placed her body in the basement and kept it on ice until spring. In the basement? In the basement. I mean, I guess, where else are you going to put it if you have to wait? Where else are you going to put it? Yeah. But she wasn't left alone because her mom, who also lived in town... She came to visit her daughter's corpse every single day oh. until she could finally be put to rest with a, with a proper burial. That makes my heart warm. Makes your heart warm, but also it's incredibly sad because her mother ended up developing pneumonia from all the time spent in the cold, icy basement. Oh my gosh. In the winter months. And she actually passed away as well. But did she, was she in able hers, to see her daughter be buried? I, th- I believe so. Okay. I think so. Um. And this woman's spirit is often seen in the little girl's bedroom and in the basement where her, or what's thought to be the little girl's bedroom, like in the servants' quarters. And then also in the basement where her child's body had once been kept. Wow. The little girl's spirit is also still seen. She's seen walking down the hallways, spending time by the fireplace in the old servants' quarters. And the childhood laughing that people so frequently hear is thought mm-hmm. to be attributed maybe to her, that she's just out there laughing, which I'm glad that at least she's laughing because there are also a lot of sobs of grief from a woman, which people think is is coming from that little girl's mother. Wow. Um, in the late 1800s, right near the home, a passenger train had stopped to fix a problem when another train came from behind and crashed into this stopped train. Oh, my gosh. And the broiler inside the, the first stopped train exploded. And many of the passengers on the train died on impact, but others were not so lucky. Some of them were very, very badly burned, crying out for help, and... Uh, ended up surviving the crash only temporarily many of the victims of the crash were transported to a hospital but some needed immediate attention and there wasn't enough time or or space available to transport them to a hospital and prospect place happened to be the closest house to this crash site and so anna who i i think it was at the time that anna was owning the house although maybe it could have been her father george but i believe it was anna who was in the house now Uh, offered it up as a temporary hospital so again the basement's utilized and Mm -hmm. it's set up as this makeshift hospital and unfortunately many people did die in that basement from that crash waiting to be transported to the real hospital for oh so there are many deaths in that basement many deaths in the basement although i'm not sure any of them belonged to uh the people on the underground railroad Right. Although if we're saying that records weren't very well kept during that time, it's, it's possible. So possible. Especially because these people are traveling who knows how many miles to get to Underground Railroad safe houses. That who knows what obstacles they encountered or what illnesses they encountered. So regardless of if it was like a natural True. death or not, I think it's very possible that some did. Well, and it's like the the image of the woman with the head wound. Right, like, right. Mm- there's no record of her dying, to my knowledge, at least from my research, but mm-hmm. she could have passed away there. Right. Injured right. herself on her journey or someone else injured her. Yeah. Oh, 
Um, another spirit that's seen in the home is that of an angry bounty hunter. So back when George Adams was using the house as the underground railroad station, bounty hunters were, even though Ohio was a free state, they were allowed to track escaped slaves and bring them back to slavery. So awful. Can you imagine? Jeez. So while George used the cistern to avoid detection, there was a bounty hunter who was convinced that George was harboring slaves. And this bounty hunter was completely enraged and demanded that George release all of the slaves that he was hiding. And George was like, "Mm, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And his ranch hands, George's ranch hands, really defended him and scared the bounty hunter away. But his ranch hands did not stop there. They ended up following the bounty hunter to his camp. They abducted him and they brought him to the barn and hanged him for his crimes. And now the bounty hunter's spirit remains there, skulking around the barn and sometimes angrily lashing out at visitors. People have seen a dark figure moving around the area, like a shadow figure, and they think that maybe it's actually just him. Um, And people have been touched physically touched when walking nearby the barn whoa and another couple spirits to tell you about there are so many i'm so mesmerized by this there are so many but these are the last i'll tell you about so the owners the second owners of the home anna adams cox the daughter of george who had married william she is seen in the home and she wanders the halls and sometimes wails out in pain And it's believed that maybe those whales are due to her having died from pneumonia. And then her husband, who had disappeared, William Cox, he has been heard on EVPs calling out for Anna. How interesting. Calling out for her? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so crazy. These spirits are so active. And and while I feel like some are probably residual, there's just so many. So many, so, so, so many. And there's so much history. I mean, the place was built back in the 1800s, but like the amount of activity that has gone on there and how much it's been used by and how many people have just like passed through is exponentially higher than like the average place. Wow. Yeah. The average home. Right. Because it's been purposed for so many different things and through so many family hands. And then, yeah, it's so fascinating so fascinating yeah there's just a bajillion ghosts there it's extremely fascinating it's tragic it's inspiring the history of it all and how people chose to use their lives and their spaces and their money and their position to help others that's really awesome um and if you want to learn all about the history if you want to learn all about the history you can the mansion is currently open to guests on saturdays and sundays from 12 p.m to 4 p.m and do they do ghost tours? Because I'm pretty sure that's what Dawn said that she had done. Um, Yeah, I think so. And they also have, you can go at, at night. I think you can spend the night. And then they also have a ton of educational programs for um, the community. So oh, that's great. I didn't cruise too much through their website, but there were like a million drop down tabs for all the things that happen at this place. Well, I love that. That's great. So. I chose the Delaware Governor's Residence, which is also known as the Woodburn Mansion in Delaware. And it was also at one time a station for runaway slaves. There was a tunnel that led from the basement 
all the way to the St. Jones River, which would allow a secret passage to the safe house. And so like slaves that came to al- along the river would hop off the river and go through this tunnel to get to the Woodburn Mansion for safety. Served as an underground railroad safe house and the ghost may be connected to that time, but the home has actually been haunted since creation, which was its construction was in 1790. So there are so many spirits that expand upon decades and many different times, but let's begin with the late 1780s because that's when the land was purchased for a mere $110, which sounds real nice. I said in the 1780s, I wonder how much that is. Yeah, I don't know. Either way, I wish that had not changed. Uh, It was purchased by Charles Hilliard III, and he decided the home he was going to build would be called Woodburn. So he named his home, which I feel like now I should name my apartment. Leia's Castle. Okay. It's done. (laughs) Uh, It stayed, this home stayed in the family until 1820, and then it was first leased to a governor whose name was Jacob Stout in 1820. And then the owners then sold the house in 1825 to Daniel and Mary Cowgill, who were devoted abolitionists and Quakers who purchased and then freed all of their slaves and allowed them to meet in their home and use their home as their own space. It was during this time that the home also functioned and operated as a spot along the Underground Railroad. They tried to, because they had freed all of their slaves and then basically given the land and property over as like, a space for them to use. They tried to utilize that as cover for it being an underground safe house. They owned the home until 1912 and then it passed through the hands of a few others before 1965 when the house was purchased and became the permanent governor's mansion. The mansion's layout includes a stately drawing room, music and dining rooms, wide hallways, seven bedrooms, and a cellar. The decor and architecture of the house stays true to the Georgian style I think that's how you say it and it has like paneled walls these massive fireplaces and like very airy bright big windows which is a dream I just want nice big windows Mm -hmm. with nice big curtains so that I don't have to deal with a home that reminds me of when a stranger calls oh god yeah automatic curtains to keep out all the black-eyed kids yes no b-e-k's for me then the mansion Okay, outside of the mansion is like this beautiful state with all these really amazing trees, like pines, English boxwoods. It has a formal garden. It has like a maze in the backyard. It's truly gorgeous. And it has these kind of like eerie looking trees that it that kind of frame the entrance of the home. They're called Looming Gnarled Popular. But it like it's really creepy and, and eerie looking, but I love it. I want one in front of my future home. I'm Googling this tree right now. It actually, this one specific tree that has like a hole in the trunk has a ghost story attached to it. And it like, because it's so creepy, it makes the local children kind of run past the place at night because it's so creepy. But I'll tell that story in a minute. Poor local children. Are you looking at? Uh, What did you say it's called? It's the, just look up the Woodburn Mansion tree. So I was like, these are really scary images that are of scarecrows that I'm seeing now. <laughs> Okay, continue. I, I'll find okay. it eventually. So this house is now the home of Delaware governors, but it also has a few spirits. One benevolent one, one nasty one, who tends to scare the living. And many people have said that the mansion has a psychic atmosphere and spirit vibrations. 
for the most part, they're pleasant and friendly. Good. At least there's that. So the first and most well-known ghost story to a to have occurred at the Woodburn Mansion took place in 1820. It's even recorded and mentioned on the Delaware.gov website, which just makes me so happy when governments acknowledge the existence of spirits. It makes me like giddy inside. <laughs> Government.gov. That's super gov.gov. That's like extremely It's like legit gov. Yeah. So the story goes that Mary Hilliard and her husband, Martin Bates, were the owners of the home, and they were entertaining this guest named Lorenzo Dow. He was a well-known Methodist preacher. And one morning at the breakfast table, Mrs. Bates asked Mr. Dow to start the meal with a prayer. But Mr. Dow was like, uh, well, maybe we should wait for the other guest in the house. And Mrs. Bates was like, what? What do you mean? And Mr. Dow was like, the gentleman I met on the staircase. And Mrs. Bates like, there are there is no gentleman on the staircase like we don't you're the only one staying at our house and then this mr dow just explains this man in extreme detail he's like he wore a powdered wig he had knee bridges and was wearing a ruffled shirt and he explains like what he's his face looked like and mrs bates's face just kind of like goes pale and she's like what you are describing sounds exactly like my father who was the one who bought and purchased the land and made the house, the Woodbird Mansion. And he's actually been seen by others since Mr. Dow. And he has quite the reputation, even as a ghost, because apparently in life he loved a good strong drink. And so now if people leave a glass of wine out and leave it alone and come back, it will be gone. And specifically if they leave it on the stairway, they'll like come back an hour later and the drink will be empty. Where does it go? I don't know. I wonder, you know how like clouds are formed when they kind of like suck up the liquid in the, on the ground. Like I wonder if ghosts can do that to wine. Or do you think he just takes it out back and dumps it into the grass? He's like, ha, they think I'm drinking it. Or does he drink it? I don't know. Or can ghosts drink? I hope so because when I'm a ghost, I just want wine. <laughs> you're going to need to drink when you're scaring Nick's future <laughs> wife. She's going to need to drink away from too. him. Uh, <laughs> you're both gonna be drinking <laughs> mr frank hall who was another previous owner of the house claimed that sometimes mr hilliard would pass him on the stairwell and kind of just like nod to him and then he'd be like okay yep just saw a ghost we're cool we're good let's keep going and then governor tribbett's wife jean regularly checked the stairway for mr hilliard's presence and she even left wine out for him on a number of results and she was like i made sure i didn't tell my husband i was doing this or he would have just drank the wine to tease me. And there were like, of the many times that she did it, there was probably only one or two that the wine disappeared. But she said it did happen. And she did see him as well. Like they had passed him before, but she doubted that he was able to drink the wine. So she doesn't know, similar to your question, she doesn't know what was happening to the wine those two times. If maybe it was her husband who just like went past it and saw it and was like, I'm going to drink right. this. Where the heck did the wine go? Right. Uh, one owner of the mansion said that while he filled an antique decanter with wine every night, he always found it empty the next morning. <gasps> and then Governor Charles Terry Jr. reported that an apparition of a man in a white wig had been spotted helping himself to a decanter of wine in the dining room and <laughs> is the one of suspected of helping himself to the vintage wines in the cellar. So basically these like nice wines that were in the cellar went missing and they think that Mr. Hilliard was just like, drinking everyone's nice wine i so wish there were cameras set up i know right it would be great 
A former governor's wife, who is a professed light sleeper, has heard on occasion footsteps going up the stairs at an hour when no one else living could possibly be awake or responsible. There's another more pleasant ghost who occasionally floats around and glides around and is dressed in a Revolutionary War outfit. Then, as I mentioned before, the home was owned by the Cowgills, who were abolitionists and turned the home into a stop on the Underground Railroad. And they said during that time, the slaves would be hidden in the cellar until they could escape in boats in the nearby river. But with that came many outside threats and danger. So one of these really popular stories that came from this time and now connects to the tree that I mentioned is that one night, Southern raiders came to the mansion looking for runaway slaves And Daniel Cowgill, who was the man who owned the mansion at the time, he drove the raiders off. But while he was doing that, one of the raiders decided to hide in the tree that was in front of the mansion, the tree that I mentioned. It's called a poplar. And he hid in there and he slipped and got his head stuck in the hole of the tree. And he basically hung there until he died. Oh, my God. Oh, God. But so on occasion, people have seen his body hanging in the tree as he relives his horrible death. And unfortunately, some and so that's the ghost that kind of scares people. But unfortunately, he so it's a weird thing because he's there's like some times where he seems very residual. And there are other times that he seems just like a menacing ghost because people will see him reliving his death. But others will see him kind of like trapezing through the front yard and scaring people and kind of like growling and screaming and just like looking menacing. Ew, growling. Yeah. I mean, he's not a good guy. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then the fourth scene ghost is an apparition of a little girl in a red checkered gingham dress. And she was first seen playing by the garden pool during the 1940s. And no one really knows who she is or where she came from. But during the inauguration party for Governor Michael Castle back in 1985, various guests felt the tugging of this little invisible presence, like a little girl tugging on their outfits. And one guest even spotted the apparition of this little girl standing and floating in the corner of the reception room. So no one knows who she is or why she's there, whether she's connected to a family that lived there or a governor's child or a slave. No one really knows. And then Governor Castle let a teacher and three of her students spend the night in the mansion. And the students reported that a lady in a portrait hanging in one of the rooms kept smiling at them in a friendly, welcoming manner. Like even like the students would tell the teacher and the teacher would look and like even she noticed it, which reminds me so much of Hogwarts, like in all the moving paintings. Yes, 100%. Which I kind of want in my life. On occasion, people can still see the raider hanging in the tree and hear the awful moans of his rattling chains inside and outside of the mansion. But I don't know where the chains come. I think what where the chains came from is the idea that he had chains in order to put slaves back, like to bring slaves back to slavery. Other than that, it's relatively mellow and peaceful, and people can go to visit the Woodburn Mansion if you want. It's open to the public Monday through Fridays, 8.30 a.m. to 4 p.m. by appointment only, and admission is free. So as long as you call or email, it's completely free. Oh. I mean, Sabrina, I'm feeling a road trip in the future. You know, I think we need to go on a year-long road trip to hit all of these haunted places that we've decided we want to go to. I think so too. I think it would be really fun to renovate like one of those, you know, when people renovate the vans to basically be like a mm-hmm. mini home and they just go with their RV all around. I think you all and right, I should do let's that. Do it. There are a few places that I don't want to stop, but there are so many that I do. Okay. Well, I think we both agree we don't want to go to Waverly Hills, but and yet I kind of want to go. Yes. 
And I think we can both agree that we would like to go to St. Augustine. Yes. Oh my gosh, you have to meet Andrew. <laughs> right? I'm the only single one left on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Leia, Leia doesn't have a partner yet. Me and Leia. The two of us together, forbidden love. <laughs> we can't be in the same room as each other. <laughs> or else I will literally die. Yeah, well, I won't bring Leia on our road trip. Okay, I have an email from Christy. This is called, I should have called Ghostbusters. Mom was hiding some sneaky shit. Mm -mm. Hey, ladies. So first things first, your podcast is life. Y'all get me through work and my commute every day. Also, fun fact, I'm from Burlington, New Jersey, home to one of Blackbeard's hidden treasure spots. Ooh, that's fun. I just listened to the prior episode. and was so excited when you mentioned my hometown. Okay, so on to the story. My mom used to live in a historic townhouse in downtown Burlington City, New Jersey, a few streets over from Wood Street, where Blackbeard was said to bury his treasure. This whole area is known to be haunted by ghosts from the Underground Railroad and a bunch of other things. When we were first moving her in, I took a box down to the basement. Now, I hadn't seen the house prior to this moment, but when I walked down the stairs, I noticed the basement had sand floors, old brick walls, and a well. Yes, a freaking well in the basement. Which now, after listening to my story, it might make sense why there's a well in the basement. Mm. If it's Underground Railroad House. I dropped the box and ran upstairs. And for the rest of the time that she lived there, I never went back down in that basement again. I have always been easily freaked out by things and I had a weird feeling about the basement. So about a year went by and I would stay every other weekend at my mom's being that my parents are split, and some weird things started happening. Now, I'm not a skeptic, but if I ever see an actual ghost, I will literally shit my pants. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the very first time something creepy happened to me was when I was lying down in my bed one night watching TV. I was just minding my own business, and all of a sudden my bed started to shake slowly back and forth, <gasps> almost like someone was standing at the edge of my bed and pushing. Then it started to get faster and faster. And faster. And I jumped out of my bed. I know, Leia. It's scary. <laughs> I jumped out of my bed. I ran down the hall. And I swear I hit three out of the 16 stairs leading to the first floor. Oh, my gosh. the front door I went. My mom came running down the stairs and asked what was wrong. And I told her what had happened. And she blamed it on the train that must have went by. Yeah. Okay, mom. <laughs> so I went back to my room. And I forgot all about it. Next incident. I was kind of a sneaky teen and liked to stay home by myself while my mom, stepdad, and brother went out during the day so that I could break into my mom's wine collection. Oh my gosh. FYI, adding water to your mom's wine bottles after you take some, okay, a lot, <laughs> uh, doesn't work. Yep. So. <laughs> okay, you're a classy teen. Yeah, who goes for the wine? I feel like when you're a teen, you grab the hard stuff because that's what you think that people drink. I'm pretty sure I was going after like, What's that pineapple? Oh, Malibu. Like my mom's Malibu, oh. which would make me sick all the time. I was like Bikes Hard Lemonade. Oh, yeah. That's such a mom drink too. <laughs> yeah, totally. It was like the boating drink that my parents would have. Mm -hmm. And I'd have like three sips of it. And I'd be like, Ooh, I'm drunk. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So I'm hanging out in the living room enjoying my stolen glass of <laughs> wine when I hear someone running up and down the stairs. So as I mentioned before, she lived in a townhouse, so the people living on either side of the house had stairs in the same spot ours were. 
I called my mom, freaking out, and she said that it was just the kids next door running up and down. Once again, yeah, okay, mom. As time went on, she would always have an excuse as to why I was hearing or feeling something in the house. But here is where my mom exposes her sneaky shit. The day came where she was moving out, and as we were packing up and loading up the moving truck, she sits me down and says, I have something to tell you. She tells me that this house is indeed haunted, Oh, and she has been hiding it from me this whole time because she knew if I had found out, I would not have come over on the weekends anymore. She proceeds to tell me everything that she has seen and every experience she's had in this historic-ass haunted house. There are way too many to write here, so I'll just tell you the scariest one. (laughs) I know. Love it. (laughs) My mom's room is on the third floor. There was a doorway that led to a staircase which went up to her room. She never shut the door because the cats would come in and out throughout the night. But one night, she and my stepdad were trying to fall asleep when all of a sudden the door slams. She figured one of the cats pushed it shut. So she went and opened it and went back to bed. About 10 minutes later, it happens again. This time, my stepdad jumps out of bed And as any majestic father figure does, he grabbed his baseball bat and he went to make sure no one was in the (laughs) house. The house was clear, so off to bed they went again. Later that night, my mom woke up to go to the bathroom, which was on the second floor. And as she rounded the corner, exiting the doorway that led to the bedroom, she stops dead in her tracks. And right in front of her is a huge black mist. She described it as a silhouette of a tall, stocky man. She wiped her eyes to make sure she wasn't seeing things, and it was still there. She told me that she told it to leave her alone and to never come near her children. That she didn't care if it lived in the house, as long as it never presented itself again and stopped scaring her daughter. Wow. Once she said this, the figure disappeared, and she said she never, ever saw it again after that night. Like, Mom, are you freaking kidding me? She really was trying to make me feel comfortable this whole time while there was something not human living in that house. She was so creative and had an excuse for everything that happened that freaked me out. So a train didn't actually go by that night because after 10, the train stops running and the kids weren't running up and down the stairs because no one was at their house. They were out with my family at the Oh my gosh. To cap this off, when we were moving out, I went into the basement and I grabbed the same box that I had put down there when we moved in. As I was walking up the stairs, I heard my mom saying that I needed to stop being so scared of basements. When I finally reached the first floor, I looked for her and she was across the street talking (gasps) to our neighbor. I never stepped foot in that house again. (gasps) Oh my God. Ew. So something else was like, You don't have to be so scared of basements. Yeah, like, come down here again. I knew I should have called Ghostbusters all along. I knew something was up. (laughs) But anyway, I hope you guys have enjoyed hearing my and my mom's ghostly encounters. Sorry it was so long. Hope to see you ladies on the other side. Christy. P.S. I attached a perfect little fur baby to lighten the mood. His name is Ted, and he's three years old. Oh, my God, Ted. (sighs) And Ted's an adult adorable doggo that's what i said all too before i before you even read that part of it because i saw his little face oh oh look how cute he is his little smiling face okay okay that's how a freaky great mother because that's what you need to do you, you don't want to terrify them right and i love how she was thinking about her daughter as she saw the spirit instead of being like leave me alone she was like leave my daughter alone yeah i mean she knew that her daughter was being like tortured by this spirit 
And like, that's so scary for a child. Awful. Yeah. So horrifying. Ew, I'm, I can't stop thinking about now being in the basement and hearing a mimic of your mom's voice saying you need to not be so scared of basements. Yeah, that's terrifying. And then realizing your mom isn't even in the house. That is absolutely terrifying. I would be running out of, out of that house and never going back. Yes, same. I'm really scared. <laughs> okay, I have a story. Let us hear. This is from Megan. It's called Haunted Homes and Childhood Friends. Halo. Hey, Lou, I'm not sure. I discovered your podcast towards the end of 2018 via an ologies shout out and have been addicted ever since. Hey, ologies. It is my absolute go-to during my long work commutes every day, and I'm finally just about caught up with all the previous episodes, even though I skip ahead whenever a new one is released because I just can't help myself. To preface, I've been meaning to write you gals for a while now, and I finally stopped procrastinating. I'd love to share with you three stories from the Trinway House, a childhood friends, and my brief experience with a poltergeist. The women on my maternal side of the family have never been in doubt of the supernatural, and all of us, at one time or another, have lived in a spiritually active home for a period of time in our lives. This belief in what lies on the other side has made for some interesting family adventures, ghost hunts, and now a casual resiliency whenever spooky stuff arises in random conversation. In fact, it excites us. Ghost stories and tales of the unseen bring a nostalgic, familiar comfort to me now as an adult, which is probably why I love your podcast so much. Perhaps it's because I was raised to be more open or the fact that my granny passed down a little of white witch unintentionally to all of us. But at least in the case of my aunt and I, we were definitely far more tuned in to our surroundings and I think we even know what to do with sometimes. That being said, I'll start with a story that my aunt, mother, and granny shared with me about the Trinway house. When my aunt, uncle, and mother were teenagers, they lived with my granny in an old mid-1880s house in Trinway, Ohio. If you're familiar at all with Trinway, you're also probably very familiar with the expansive history of Prospect Place Mansion. This beautiful property was built for the owner's second wife and completed in 1856. No sooner had the owner's family moved in when the mansion caught fire and burned completely to the ground, like you said. Mm -hmm. The property's history only continued to expand throughout the Civil War as a significant station on the Underground Railroad. By the late 1980s, when my family moved to the area, the mansion and its adjacent carriage barn had become completely unkempt, vandalized, and full of energies most likely provoked by careless trespassers. The house my family moved into, might I add, was side by side, directly to the left of this mansion. Needless to say, their home at this time had many uninvited visitors assumed to have wandered from the neighboring property. An equal mix of innocent and eerie, but one in particular gave my aunt a hellish fright. It was early in the morning hours when my aunt woke up from her bedroom upstairs to use the bathroom, which was downstairs past the kitchen. En route to the bathroom and through the kitchen, one must pass, surprise, surprise, the basement slash cellar door. Groggy and in the dark, my aunt made her way to and from the bathroom through the kitchen once more and to the flight of stairs when she noticed my uncle calling her name from the second floor. I'll change her name for reference. Lorraine, Lorraine, my uncle said sleepily. In that same moment, my aunt happened to look behind her towards the open basement door, down the stairs, and into two glowing red eyes that moved slowly up the stairs towards her. 
I honestly can't remember the part of the story when she tells us what happened next, but I do remember her saying how she asked my uncle the next morning why he was calling her name in the middle of the night, only to find that my uncle had no recollection of calling out to her at all. The house continued to have countless activity and visitors throughout their time there, one being a little girl in a pink dress who liked to run through the living room. And though they've all moved on with their lives and away from Trinway, my aunt has continued to be followed by something her entire life that she's never quite been able to shake. She has many stories, but I'll save those for another time. My own spook. When I was a baby, my granny used to say that I had clairvoyant eyes because when I stared at something or someone, she could tell that I understood. Although I can only verify that I've physically seen the unseen only a handful of times, I am constantly aware of shifting energies and premonitions. As I've gotten older, I've learned how to tune in and tune out of these frequencies when I need to, but I'm still very much learning. When I was young, my granny came to live with us at our house, and throughout her time with us, she, my mom, and I would volunteer at the Trinway Mansion. It was being renovated by a great-great-great-grandson of the original owner, and the volunteers would come in to help and clean and paint and sweep and lead historic house tours. On the weekends, we would attend ghost hunts. I never felt in danger in the areas I would explore, but I always felt aware— and was never allowed to go to the carriage house where it was said to have bad energy. I don't remember ever seeing any entity, but I would hear them move and shuffle about, whisper, and even sometimes laugh. This is exactly what you were saying. Yes. I remember I I always felt bad for the house. My childhood home was adored and held beautiful memories growing up. Never once had I ever picked up on residing energies until things started to change. I began puberty very young. I was eight years old, and it was during this time that I began to notice increased activity. Perhaps there's a connection between puberty and poltergeist, which we should do a whole episode about this because I absolutely think there is. Mm -hmm. And we have multiple stories about it. Maybe we'll do an encounters episode. Okay. So email us. Kitchen cabinets and dishes would move in the night, and all of the lights and electronics in my bedroom would turn on when I wasn't around. My guinea pig would run like mad and squeal whenever my mom and I would say our goodnight prayers. And on my dresser, I know it's sad. And on my dresser, I had two little figurines on either side of my mirror, one of Joseph and one of Mary. Mary was the closest to my bed and she never liked to stay in one spot. No matter what I did, every time I came back to my room, Mary had moved. Mary moved so much, in fact, that I even performed a test to make sure there wasn't any other possible explanation. My family went on vacation for a week and the house was empty. No indoor pets, no earthquakes, no nearby explosions. I like that that's a no nearby explosions. <laughs> I pushed Mary to the very far back of the wall of her shelf and turned her completely around. And I was welcomed home post-vacation to Mary on the front edge of the shelf facing completely the opposite direction. That was the last straw for me as I wrapped both figurines in cloth and put them in my closet. Despite continued activity, I never felt dark energy, but I definitely questioned it when both my granny and I watched my porcelain hanging cross slide down my wall behind my bed. Ooh, that's creepy. Ew, ew, ew. So creepy. The string holding the cross on the nail wasn't broken or frayed, and the nail was still in the wall. My final memory was after we returned from another family vacation a while or so later. My parents had left me at home alone so they could run down to the grocery store, and I kept myself preoccupied watching my new hermit crabs change their shells. I may have forgot to mention it, but I had terrible OCD when I was younger, and one issue I had was that I hated having my back to any door. For some reason on this day, I was lying on on my stomach on the floor facing away from the door when smack, 
I quickly jolted around to find my frog-themed door bead swinging against the frame. I was completely alone, and after a momentary pause, I crawled my way to the hallway and slowly stretched my neck to look around the corner and in then in the, into the living room. Whoosh! For the first time in my life, I saw a transparent black smoky mass zoom from the kitchen on my left to the front door on my right. It was so fast, I still wonder if I actually saw it. I shouted at it and told it to leave, that it wasn't welcome here, and that this was my house. I never saw it again, and soon after, my parents got a divorce and my granny moved out. My dad remained in the house, but I could feel the house grow more and more depressed. We too eventually moved, and I hope today that happiness and light was brought back to it. Keep up the great and amazing work, darlings, and stay spooky, Meg. Such an interesting connection to the Trinway house or the the mansion. The Prescott mansion, yeah. yeah. And Yeah, to have her family, her parents grow up right next to it is kind of cool. Right, and it's it's interesting because, yes, a lot of things happened around the mansion or like the land around it. But it's also interesting that some of the stuff kind of followed them home. Yeah. Well, that made me question because it sounded like Megan's or Meg's granny lived in the home with them when she was having all these weird interactions with like her statue moving or that mist and the cross and everything. Mm -hmm. And she mentioned that her granny felt like something followed her from her from her time living in the Trinway house. Right. So wandering over through the neighborhood. Right, so I wonder if this poltergeist entity wasn't her ghost, but it was Granny's ghost and, like, the entity that was following Granny. I could only assume yes. Yeah. I wonder. And I wonder what this entity was that was following her. I know. It also seems really dark. I wonder. I know I'm going through my mind right now for all of the spirits that were there, but it's, like, it's one of those things where we've talked about it so much where it doesn't necessarily have to be one of the spirits that resides in the home or or someone who had passed away there or or who had spent time there just the fact that so much happened around that area it could attract something darker that maybe set up shop with granny right i don't know the cross part the cross thing is really scary to me it's super freaky and the figurines oh, turning and facing her, that is what I'm not about. I know. I mean, part of me is like, okay, maybe that's not so bad because it could just be like the the Mary wanting to be closer to protect her if you want to think about it in a lighter way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I maybe. guess that's true. Maybe, unless it's like, hey, look, I can touch this. This is a manipulation of something but that I don't wanna you think, think is protective. like that. I know. Ugh. Spirits can be so dang sp- Spooky. And so are all of you guys and all of all of your experiences with the paranormal. So if you have any any wild stories, any sweet stories, anything just a little off and different, send them yeah. to us. Send us your stories at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com. Send us your puberty stories that are related to ghosts. Oh or maybe gosh, just yes. your per- period. I don't know. Tell us everything. We Tell don't care. Tell us everything. We'll Every- do a TMI episode about women. <laughs> and our bodies and how we should express everything that's happened to us so no one ever feels alone (sighs) that's true thank god for big mouth i literally was just gonna say that because i wish big mouth existed when i was a preteen going through puberty although how many 
how many teens do you think actually like preteens are allowed to watch it well mine will yeah for sure uh there are a variety of ways to support our podcast you can rate and review us on itunes that helps keep us towards the top of the charts and helps other people follow us or find us um and then you can also tell your friends about us yeah and you can follow us on all social media you can also support us by supporting us on patreon or buying some merch um real quick i wanted to give a shout out to eric foster at upfire digital for editing this episode and a shout out to nick for joining us this week please buy me a cat and then you can come back and because he has great good ghost stories (laughs) yeah nick has to tell the ghost stories that would be so fun and we will see you on the other other side. side